This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The founder of this company, 10 years ago, was trying to sell his house and went through real estate agent after real estate agent, and they were all talking a great game. And this guy who is selling his house, the founder of this, uh, this company, he's, you know, he's kind of an important guy and kind of, you know, should get the best treatment. And he said to his wife, if this is what it's like for us, how do people who have no clout ever get around this? So he started a company, and it went into business, I think, three years ago. Their deal is, their word is their bond. And they are just like you. Now, how can I say that? Because I'm the founder of the company. We have a thousand agents across the country and they are people that listen to this show. And so when you go through real estate agents, I trust it's sent to somebody who already, you already know their sensibilities. They already are cut from exactly the same cloth. There's gotta be a better way. There is real estate agents. I trust.com. You're listening to The Church Boys Freefall Q&A. It's Billy Hollowell here with The Church Boys Podcast, and I have one of my favorite interview subjects here today, uh, Dr. Daryl Bach, a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary and the author of the new book, How Would Jesus Vote? So I'm just going to jump in and I'm going to ask you, how would Jesus vote? Well, the book, <laughs> the title is, is provocative on purpose, but the book is really about how Jesus would approach these issues. We're not so much after specific policy as saying we're having the wrong conversation. And the argument is both the left and the right cherry pick the Bible. And therefore, we never get the real conversations we need to have. And we end up with gridlock because when things that are intention are reduced to one side or the other, we never engage. And so the point of the book is to go through issue after issue after laying the groundwork about how our nation is structured. Issue after issue showing how this cherry picking principle works and how it gets in the way of the real political discussion that we need. And the result is gridlock because people begin and we have, in effect, tribalism going on in our politics right now. Yeah, how do you solve a problem if you can't get people to come together to, to discuss it? They're exactly only discussing right. it with themselves. That's exactly right. right. And they're, or they're, they're so planning themselves on the truth of one concern that they have, but completely ignoring the reality of another concern that's out there that's also legitimate. And so that's the goal of the book. Now, there are a handful of issues that I say don't work that way. I go through about oh, eight to ten issues, one at a time, and the bulk of them do have this cherry picking thing. And then a few of them done. Um, I, so, with like abortion, how would, is that an issue that, that? That's one that's not so much debated. Right. In other words, the Bible's very clear about the sacredness of life and the effort to protect life. So then the But what I do in the chapter is to discuss the nature of the medical evidence about when life begins and argue that even where we've set the parameters for allowing abortion, go beyond where, where even that consensus is. And so I raise questions about what that means ethically for the way we can Well, yeah, it's interesting because polling consistently seems to show that Americans don't want abortion to be illegal. They want it to be legal. When you ask people what they right, think. Right. But that most Americans want restrictions on abortion. That's right. You know, so that's always been fascinating to me because I think when you look at it, you probably bring a lot more people alongside. A lot of pro-choice people would be okay with some pro-life policies. You know, that would restrict a little bit. Yeah, I think it depends on how strongly pro pro right. life they are. But but still the point is is that is that where we are is not where we 
need to be. And, and some of the point of the book is, is that we have to realize we live in a country with different worldviews, different approaches. It's designed to be that way. We're designed to function as a pluralistic community. So how do you function as a pluralistic community with different worldviews? When you advocate in the public square, you do the best that you can for the cause that you have. But if you lose a vote, you need to learn how to lose well. You know, you continue your advocacy, but you got to learn how to lose well. And so the book is dealing with all those corporate dynamics. It opens with a picture of a car, saying a car is a wonderful thing to have, but if you're on the highway, 500,000 of your closest friends going in the same direction, a car can't do what it's designed to do. It's in gridlock. And so, and I said, and our politics is kind of the same way. When you look at how things have been the last decade, you know, the last 20 years, the last two decades, is this getting worse, this dynamic? Has the gridlock always been there? How do you... I think it's getting worse. There used to be pretty solid negotiation that would take place between the parties. There are some very famous stories of old, very positive relationships that people had with one another. Uh, Everett Dirksen back in the time of Lyndon Johnson and John Kennedy. And so there are there are these relationships that existed that, that help people to talk their way through issues. We've lost that now. We in the pursuit of kind of ideological purity on both sides, we've stopped talking to one another and with the large amount of money that's involved in our politics, especially interest in politicians are beholden in order to get raise the money to get reelected. Those dynamics have really um, damaged our political process in many ways. Yeah, yeah, it seems like people are and that's always a fascinating discussion too. You get into like campaign finance and how people but it is very true that people are controlling candidates by the money they're giving them. And another aspect is what what uh, Juan Williams calls narrow casting. In other words broadcasting a particular niche so that all a person hears is their side of the story, and they never are open to or hear the different angles that involve um, Now, one of the issues you tackle in the book is gun control, and I don't want to give away anything from, you know, from the book. <laughs> because that is an issue that it seems like, and I'm going to get myself in trouble by saying this, but, and I'm a totally pro-Second Amendment, but it seems like there are certain things that people in this country value sometimes so strongly that I sort of think, oh, imagine if we had this kind of like fervor about church or about like, you know, the really important things. Not that there's anything wrong with, again, being pro-Second Amendment, what... How did you approach that topic? Well, every chapter first goes through the biblical principles that gun control comes with. There are no guns in the Bible. <laughs> long before guns ever showed up. So you've got to deal with how the Bible handles violence, revenge, those are the topics that feed into the use of guns. So, so you've got an interpretive problem first that you've got to negotiate. But then we go through and show, you know, on the one hand there are texts that, that allow for the protection of life, the protection of your family, that kind of thing. But there also are all those texts that say you use, in effect, as little violence as possible to achieve their goals. So how do you balance those two things? And the discussion is, what does that look like? So what does that mean for practical things in gun control, like background? Making sure that people who buy guns at gun shows actually are checked as they buy things. That kind of thing. There are things that we can do that don't impact the Second Amendment, but that make uh, the procurement of guns uh, more appropriate for, for their use. Now, the standard reply, of course, is, well, a criminal is going to try and violate the law. That, 
and that's true. If someone wants to violate the law, they're going to try and work around it. But you're also dealing with trying to restrict impulse killings and that kind of thing, or impulse depression that leads to suicides, those kinds of scenarios. And in making your gun control work in terms of the way it registers people, the way it checks their psychiatric background, etc., seems to me to be a reasonable application of the Second Amendment. So the chapter goes through, lays out the principle, says we, the issue is balancing these. How do you balance them? And then looking at our policies and saying, what kinds of things can we do to tighten up where we are? Right, right. Yeah, it's it's a fascinating issue because on one hand, and not to go too far into it, you have, and I've said this to, to a lot of conservatives, um, you know, they're so afraid that guns will be taken away. And, but really, the, the argument of you know keeping the citizens as armed as the government kind of falls flat because the government's already way more armed than the citizens, right? right. So, and I'm not advocating that certain right. guns should be taken away or anything, right. but I mean, we, you can't really get a machine gun. It's very hard to get a machine gun, right? Right. right. Um, so you're already at a disadvantage when that when that's sort of your your argument, and, I, and it does seem like there has to be a balance on that issue that I think. It's hard to find. See, right. it would be nice to be able to raise the issue of good, solid background checks and keep your records up to date, that kind of thing. Uh, and, and not have, well, you're going to take the Second Amendment right. away, argument come back to you because that's not what's on the table. Right, 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 right. And, 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 so, it, and so each chapter in the book kind of goes through this kind of discussion. I mean, we cover health care, we cover immigration, we cover education, the education in light of the globalized world. War and peace. Uh, I mean, we cover you know all the standard issues yeah. that people are discussing today, and almost all of them have this balance question in which the left and the right both are citing when they get religious biblical principles, but they're only citing some of them. Right. And so, so they can dig in on the Bible on the thing that they want to argue for, but they are not letting you know if I can use the old Paul Harvey line, the rest of the story. And 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 you want. You want a discussion that deals with all of it. Yeah, and I think, too, it's interesting in politics, timing, right? You know, when it, and not to belabor the gun discussion. I think part of the problem is whenever there's a tragedy, if you're saying we need gun control that day, right. and, and the proposals you have may not be bad, right. but they wouldn't solve that problem, that particular problem. It, right. it creates that sort of, whereas you know, maybe there's a time that these people could come together right. and try to have that discussion. Um, I'm going to ask you a controversial question. Okay. Is there a political party, and I know that people in each party would say yes, that is more in line, not 100%, but more in line with the Bible? I really do think it depends on what you're talking about and how these balances work out. So I, the original idea of this book was to have a topic and have an elephant stamp and a donkey stamp on the top of it, and have one of them have a check and one of them have a cross line to show which party was more aligned with. And the premise was going to be that as you move through the issues, that thing would be switching between the right. issue that you're talking right. about. Um, uh, because, for example, issues related to the concern for the poor and that kind of thing, um, dealing with poverty, one party tends to be, generally speaking, more sensitive. But on, on, on the value of human flourishing and how business can help human flourishing, another party seems to be more favorable on, on that problem. So why can't they come together? <laughs> well, because they never have these discussions. Right. They right. never have the discussion. What's happened in our country is we become a, a, a politics of the flanks. Okay. We've got we've got one end of the spectrum debating with the other end of the spectrum. Then there's this group in the middle 
and they actually only get to speak every four years during an election. They swing the elections, but they aren't represented in Congress, and they aren't represented by the, by the way we draw the districts, etc. And so, so they're they're the silent center until the election, and then they vote, and they they sway, and then we get four more years. And what have we ended up with as a result? We ended up with a lot of divided governments. Which was the, I mean, the promise of this administration, and I think the reality, once you get in, is very different. Right, is that there would be less division. That That's would right. Come together, and, and I think that hasn't happened, obviously. Because because the parties don't talk to one another right. anymore. They each represent their own constituencies. One of the points in the book is is that we've lost the concept of the common good. We've lost the concept of human flourishing as part of our political discussion, there are other interests that come in first. And as a result, I don't think of the other person who's my neighbor. I just think about my own self-interest. That produces tribalism. Yeah. And so, and, and so, we just have to have a different orientation if we're going to really apply the golden rule, uh, love your neighbor as yourself, and think about what that involves. Then we we have that kind of, of discussion. And the book also discusses how to maintain your convictions in the midst of that. This is not compromise for the mere compromise sake. This now, this we're talking about genuine engagement. But we're also talking about an engagement that recognizes that on this point, there's not a huge principle involved. Maybe there's a way to come together. And I mean, this is a time in which I think a lot of Christians in particular feel nervous. They feel kind of pushed into a corner. I mean, there's there's a cultural tie that, that has right. come in, and there are changes that have been made. And I think... You know, people paying attention aren't surprised by that, maybe, but I think a lot of Americans are because they're busy and they haven't maybe paid attention to that. How, how do you process that as a Christian? Well, I think that there's a whole tonal thing. This is actually a whole other discussion, which is that we've been engaged in decades of cultural war. All that's done is push the sides away from each other. Uh, I do a talk in which I talk about, I think it's called my heart transplant message on cultural war. I want to take the heart of a cultural warrior, I want to turn it into the heart of an ambassador. But actually, if you look at the scripture, the way in which we engage in culture is, in, is as ambassadors for the kingdom. How does an ambassador interact with the country that he's sent to, even if it's a hostile country? How do you negotiate that space? It's different than thinking about cultural, cultural war. Our, our war is against spiritual forces, but our task is almost like a delta rescue operation which you're trying to bring and rescue people out of the clutches of the someone else. How do you do that well? When you don't do it with a kind of anger and only confrontation. That's a great point. Do you think, and maybe this is just crazy, but I've often wondered with with the right kind of having this culture war and, and the Christian right having this culture war, now that's kind of subsided now and they're in the corner, right? And it's actually, in my mind, sort of led the left to have their own culture war. That's the correct. They're the pushing back. The war. You get what you pay for. Right. Yeah. So one culture war sparked another culture that's right. war. And now, it, the first one was winning for a while, but now the second one is really winning. Yeah. Um, and there isn't that negotiation and discussion going on. If you don't agree with gay marriage, you're a bigot, and we're right. going to make sure you shut your mouth. Right. Now, but but beforehand, it was a little bit the other side of you yeah. know, you're not, We're not going to talk about well, that. Well, the issue. great irony is, is that the very thing that the, that the gay community accused Christians of doing in terms of shutting them down, 
access to dialogue, the right to speak, etc., etc., is now what's coming from the other end, now right. that they have the power, which shows that humans are the same. You right. know? One has Regardless of whatever side of debate they're right. on, they tend to react to power the same way. And the question is, can we have a society in which people's consciences are conscious, in which we do have discussion, but I don't force you to bake a cake you don't want to right, bake. Right. You know, uh, this doesn't seem complicated. Yeah, especially when you can go down the street and get a perfectly nice cake. You know, so um, that kind of thing. Is there a way to civilly disagree with one another uh, in the midst of having differences? And then the call of people in the church is not so much to change the public space, but to invite people into the sacred space. Because when they're invited into that sacred space, that's when they're thinking about the impact of the change. Yeah. You know, good legislation without parts is a little bit of a few exercises. Uh, I tell people, if you want to know what good legislation without parts looks like, read your Old Testament. That's why we got a new covenant. And so, uh, uh, you know, and, and so people think politics can do too much. When in fact, all politics can do is it impacts the environment. It's significant. It impacts the circumstances and the environment that I live in. But without changed hearts, laws mean very little. So my final uh, question yes. for what are you hoping, and you touched on some of this, but what are you hoping that readers take away? What's the central takeaway of the book? There are two takeaways. One is I want people to think through how they engage in political discourse and do a better job of listening to the other side. So the second thing that I want to do is, is to change the way we talk. To think about what actually should lead into the discussion of this issue. Some pursuit of common good and some pursuit of the issues of human flourishing need to need to be a part of the impact of what we do. If we do that, we can have a different kind of conversation. I think it'll be a better conversation, and then I think we have a chance at actually getting some legislation accomplished so that we can function. Listen, I appreciate you uh, coming on the show today. My pleasure as always. founder of this company 10 years ago was trying to sell his house and went through real estate agent after real estate agent and they were all talking a great game and this guy who is selling his house the founder of this uh, this company he's you know he's kind of an important guy and kind of you know should get the best treatment and he said to his wife if this is what it's like for us how do people who have no clout ever get around this so he started a company and it went into business, I think, three years ago. Their deal is, their word is their bond. And they are just like you. Now, how can I say that? Because I'm the founder of the company. We have a 1,000 agents across the country, and they are people that listen to this show. And so when you go through real estate agents I trust, it's sent to somebody who already, you already know their sensibilities. They already are cut from exactly the same cloth. There's got to be a better way. There is. Real estate agents, I trust.com.